workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. Whoops. There we go. As unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, it was a little difficult uh, finding sort of an outline or even classifying sections in this chapter. I found that the commentators also seem to have trouble. But uh, it seems like there, Paul talks about, first about his methods in ministry, and then later uh, in the chapter he makes an appeal for holiness, an exhortation to holiness. Anyway, we'll go through verse by verse and see what we can learn. So verse 1, We then... As workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So in the previous chapter, he's been saying we're ambassadors for Christ as as though God did entreat you by us. We uh, beseech you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And so he says, and we're also pleading with you. We're also representing to you. So uh, pleading with you or exhorting, I plead with you, I exhort you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Of course, in vain means to no purpose, just uselessly. And uh, what a shame it would be to accept uh, Christ or to, to uh, profess belief in Christ and then to go on unchanged. I'm afraid if there was never any change, I doubt if there was ever any uh, new birth. But... Uh, don't receive God's grace in vain. God's grace is meant to have an effect on us, and it's meant to change us, and we should let it do that. Um, 
A quote here by uh, one of the commentators, not to make God's kindness in being reconciled to you through Jesus Christ useless by neglecting to walk according to the new life he has given you in him. So here God has done all this for us. We ought to um, walk as befits those who uh, are the recipients of so much grace from God. And I'm reminded of John 15 too, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So there could be a branch in him that be found not to bear fruit and would suffer the consequences as described. Okay, verse 2. Hmm, doesn't want to cooperate. There we go. Verse 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is a quote from Isaiah 49, 8. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And the context in Isaiah 49 is that he's speaking to the servant of the Lord, who is by whom is probably meant the Messiah. So God promises to invest his servant with spiritual power that he may be a light to Israel and to others. So he's saying this is the time when God is dispensing his favor to Christ and through him to men and women, to human beings. So uh, this is the day of grace. We live in the day of grace now. You know, it will not always be the day of grace. It will not always be the accepted time. And there's a day coming when, you know, the trumpet will sound and the Lord will return and the dead in Christ shall rise and we that are alive and remain be caught up to meet them in the air. But there will be a judgment after that. And, uh, and it will not then be the day of grace anymore. And those who will, uh, you know, when Christ returns, and who will see him coming and they'll call on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and cover them and hide them from the face of him that sits on the throne. And that won't do any good. It will be too late to call on God then because the accepted time, the day of grace, will be over. But it is the day of grace now. It is the accepted time now. It is the time when when um, we can call upon God and when God, through Christ, is um, extending his grace and extending forgiveness to human beings. And that's a wonderful thing. Okay. So we should make sure we avail ourselves of that and have availed ourselves of that. Verse 3. Here he gets more into really discussing a discussion of his, of his methods and his ministry. He says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So we, I think, would mean Paul and his fellow workers, you know, named several times Silas and Timothy. Titus seems to have been working with him also. And there may, maybe there were others. Luke was with him a good deal of the time. So there were a number of, the, of fellow workers with Paul. We give no offense in anything. I guess, you know, I, I guess if that could be an absolute statement, they were doing pretty well. Uh, and certainly we strive for that. We strive not to give offense in anything. Now, one thing to keep in mind is offense uh, is um, not what offense as used in the Bible. The word offense does not mean what it means today when uh, people take offense at things that you say. You know, uh, it seems like in our country today, in our society, uh, people uh, measure their degree of virtue, not Christians, but others, unbelievers, measure their degree of virtue by how many things they can be offended at. The more things they can take offense at, 
the more uh, then the, the more virtuous they are. We were working on at the TC, no, I would not we. Uh, the TC was working on a new core curriculum oh, about 10 or 15 years ago, I guess. And um, they really should have foreborn because the one before was bad enough. They didn't need to make it worse. But anyway, uh, they were working on a new core curriculum. And, they, and, and it, it's amazing, these things. It becomes tremendous turf wars among departments and who will get in their requirements that their courses must be taken. And um, so it became, compliment, a com- it became complicated, the core curriculum. And it, it actually cannot be diagrammed in two dimensions. It, it has to be diagrammed in three dimensions. And I don't know, maybe the next time we re- re- revise it, we'll have to use string theory and diagram the core curriculum in five or six dimensions or something. But um, I'll ensure that only really smart students will get out of it. And that will be the only smart thing the students manage to do while they're figuring out the fewest possible courses to satisfy the core curriculum. But anyway, this core curriculum and on the subject of offense. And uh, the dean, uh, was then the dean of uh, the College of Arts and Sciences that I'm in, or, or the College of Liberal Arts, actually, uh, she said, um, this, this proposed core curriculum is like a Chinese menu. And uh, oh, my Someone just went all, all ballistic, you know, and I wasn't even in the meeting, but thankfully. But uh, I'm thankful for every meeting over there I am not in, uh, especially the ones that they don't even need me to be in. But, uh, oh, my, someone was so offended. Oh, oh, you know, you have that. It was such, so ethnically insensitive. You've, uh, you know, offended all the Chinese. And the person who said it wasn't even Chinese. And I don't think had ever been to China. Probably didn't speak Chinese. But you said that was a Chinese window, a Chinese menu, and that was an ethnic slur. That's the way people take offense now. And that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not even the way Christians sometimes take offense. I don't know if you have the, the saying, or, well, Nathan has heard it, I know. I don't know if the rest of you all have heard the saying of going up the miff tree. Someone gets miffed and someone, and, and you know, we don't want to do that, certainly. And that there can be overlap between the two concepts, but as you can see on the on the overhead here, or on yeah, the overhead, right? The uh, slides, an offense as referen- uh, as referenced here, no offense is anything which causes someone to fall. So potentially something that unnecessarily offends them could um, could cause someone to fall away. They could get mad. They could feel like I made a slur. You know, I need to be careful what I say, that I don't, you know, sound like I'm making a slur on the, the state or city or continent or whatever where they live or where they're from or, you know, and, and just some throwaway remark by me uh, would, would um, you know, cause them maybe not to want to go to church anymore, not to want to hear God's good word anymore. That would be bad. But... Um, this also includes anything else that could cause people to fall, anything that could be a stumbling block, anything that could trip them up. And so we need to be careful that we, we don't do that. Now, of course, we here, we give no offense. This is Paul and his fellow workers. So these people are in full-time ministry in a big way. And uh, we could say, well, you know, most of us are not. I'm not in full-time ministry by, uh, by any means. And, and so, well, that doesn't apply to us. We can offend people all we want. Well, remember that Paul told them to be, in 1 Corinthians, he said, be the imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. So we're supposed to imitate Paul as he's imitating Christ. And also, we have, on some level, some kind of ministry. Not a full-time ministry, 
not like Paul, a ministry of missions and traveling abroad to foreign countries, but some degree of being a representative for God and a representative for his grace and his love to other people. If you think about it, if there's anybody who says, oh yeah, yeah, Woodworth, yeah, he's that guy yeah, down there in that office, and you know, he's, he's a Christian apparently, I guess he's a Christian, what are, what are they like? Well, I don't know, he's just a regular guy. You know, if there's anybody that would say, yeah, he's a Christian, well, that's, that's where I have a ministry, and, or you, know, you, in your case, have a ministry, that someone uh, you know, thinks, oh, well, that person represents Christianity. And so we want to be careful. Those who are in full-time ministry or, or are very widely known as being in the ministry often have to be even more careful. I know my dad was, was very careful, and I guess there were, maybe there were things that maybe other people could do that we didn't do because, you know, people might get the wrong idea. But um, on the whole, though, I, I think we kind of all need to be careful that way, that we don't give anybody the wrong idea. And, and, but I'm, a, I'm an American. Don't I have the right to do this and that and the other? Because I'm an American. I've got a right to do whatever I want. And, uh, well, I don't know about that as an American. When I was, when I was young, uh, conservatives actually the one, were the ones, conservatives were the ones who said, with rights come responsibilities. Can't have rights without having responsibilities. Doesn't seem like conservatives are as prone to say that nowadays. But uh, anyway, uh, even if we did have rights to do something as an American, I just have the right to say whatever I want. I have the right to do whatever I want. But I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ to somebody. And um, sometimes, I guess we are to each other, aren't we? I represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And I might have freedom to do a lot of things that it might not be a good idea for me to do. Just, you know, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. So we should try not to do anything or say anything, if we can help it, that will cause others to fall. Okay, verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. So we commend ourselves. That is, Paul and his co-workers recommended themselves to those to whom they were ministering by behaving in a manner becoming to those who are ministers of Christ. You know, in the, in the military, they have uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And in the Uniform Code of Military Justice, there is an offense called uh, conduct unbecoming to an officer, uh, of, of an officer, conduct unbecoming an officer. And um, that's a, an offense that an enlisted man cannot commit. He, he can't do that. I mean, he, there are a lot of things an enlisted man could do wrong, but that isn't one of them. I knew a guy that uh, was uh, a sergeant in the military. He was out by the time, he, but he had been in the Army, and he'd been a sergeant. And he said one day as he was leaving base, just at the stoplight, as you were just leaving base, he somehow goofed up driving his car, and he hit uh, another car. They had a fender bender, and the other car was driven by a lieutenant in the Army, like a very junior officer. And it was a very nice new nifty sports car. I forget what it was. It was something nice hand that the lieutenant had. 
He probably had invested way too much of his money in. And so they got out of their cars, and the lieutenant became very angry. And he sort of, uh, well, lost control of his temper and, and cursed the sergeant out and just was generally rather abusive in his language. Well, the MPs came up. And who got in trouble? Not the sergeant who had caused the accident by being stupid, because all armies all over the world expect their enlisted men to be stupid. That's the name of the game for armies, is to get all those stupid guys to, to be able to fight a war. Now, they're not all stupid, really, but the army has to sort of plan on that. They have to uh, foolproof their procedures. But the guy that got in trouble was the officer. Was, he was an officer, and more was expected of him. And so he was guilty of conduct on becoming an officer. And what's important for those who have the testimony of Christ, who have the witness of Christ, we have a witness before the world that we are the followers of Christ, is that we not be guilty of conduct unbecoming a Christian. And that's what Paul and his uh, fellow workers in the gospel strove to do, to recommend themselves or commend themselves as uh, the ministers of God. The commentary I was reading said not, not to, to prove that they were ministers of God, I guess, but just uh, that they were fitting ministers of God and they were behaving in a way proper to that. Now, the first way in which Paul and his co-workers recommended themselves to those Uh, to the believers, was by their endurance of suffering. And so he goes through a number of kinds of suffering here and that they went through that. So they commend themselves as ministers of God. How? Well, in much patience. Now, patience is a virtue, but it's not one that we like to exercise. You think a lot of virtues might be fun to exercise, maybe. But patience, we don't like to exercise patience. Well, okay, we can exercise patience as long as we don't have to wait too long and get it done quick. Then patience is fun. But that's, that's not the case. Well, there I go. I'll get that later. Um, they, um, you know, we don't like to wait on things. And we get tired of waiting on things. And, you know, how is it, by the way, is it occurred like, like here Paul says, well, we're commending ourselves in much patience, not just a little patience, but in much patience, when he says that our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, well, how, how can you exercise much patience about light afflictions that are much for a moment, that are light afflictions that are just for, that are for a moment and, and are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory? I would suggest that patience is the virtue that allows us to keep foremost in our minds at all times the comparison of what we are going through right now to, cons- to, uh, to eternity. So patience is what allows us to say that our present distresses and our present afflictions are light because they're just for a moment, because they're working for us a far more a far greater and eternal weight of glory. Whereas, when we focus on the here and now, we focus on this life, we focus on our pleasures in this world and how we want to have a good time and have things going along our way or get things done like we want to. And we don't think about the things 
that we are facing as things in which to exercise the virtue of patience, and we don't tend to have patience. And that's really hard, especially, I think, when you're trying to get good things done. Here are things that I need to get done for the Lord, or I need to glorify God in my work by doing this thing, and and I'm going to do this thing, and now this interruption comes, or this disturbance, or this problem, or whatever it is that comes, and... uh, stops me from doing this work that I wanted to do for the Lord, this thing. I might not be preparing my Sunday school lesson. It might be uh, grading papers, you know, to the glory of God or or studying history to the glory of God and so forth. And and here, something is interrupted and I have to have patience. But in that situation, I need to keep foremost in my mind that this is this thing that's happening to me, it's, it's a light tribulation. It's, it's taking me away from what I wanted to do. And that is working for me a far, more, uh, a far greater internal weight of glory uh, and, and try to be patient. And it doesn't come naturally to me. I suppose maybe there are some people to whom patience comes naturally. Uh, and that's great. <laughs> if that's, good, that's good if it does. The rest of us, the Lord has to work it in us by that method that he mentioned in the Bible, or tribulation, work with patience. By much patience in tribulations. Well, there you go. The tribulation works the patience. So Paul can have much patience because he's had a lot of practice with tribulations. And we know uh, later in the book we'll read Paul's big list of all the troubles that came to him. Whippings and beatings with sticks, stoning, uh, run out of town, shipwrecked, traveling all the time. And travel wasn't just fun and easy like it is today. Um, yeah, actually, I find travel rather fatiguing, especially air travel, uh, rather fatiguing and stressful. But uh, it wasn't near that easy. It was dangerous. It was hard. He had much tribulation in many ways. And, of course, shipwrecks and all these things. And then, so, but, commended himself by having much patience, by being faithful to God, in much tribulations and by maintaining a Christian testimony and by showing the grace of God in tribulations, in needs, when he didn't have the things he needed, in distresses, just things that tend to distress you. Uh, well, we know about these things. You know, we get bad news or, or something. There's a problem comes up or a big problem and we're distressed. And in that distress, if we want to imitate Paul, be an imitator of Paul as he was of Christ, well, then in that distress... We need to try to continue to show God's grace and uh, the patience and the Christ-like spirit. And then in stripes, well, yes, I mentioned that, all the whippings he'd had. And imprisonments, he'd have been imprisoned, uh, we know, at uh, Philippi, but probably actually elsewhere. He'd been locked up in tumults, which can mean riots. And, and Paul was, uh, seemed like he was always uh, start uh, being involved in riots, uh, you know, the Jews would get angry and they'd take certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, which I, I find the King James wording there kind of entertaining, took unto themselves certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, certain common pe- people from the marketplace, and had them start a riot. People instigated a riot. And then, of course, there was over there in Ephesus where there arose no small stir about the way. And, uh, yeah, he'd been in riots. And, of course, it's all very well for us to read about riots. You know, they're very tolerable to read about sitting on a comfortable padded pew in a safe church building far away and in a place where we don't imminently expect any riots to affect us, at least not right now. 
But when you're in one, I could imagine there's a great deal of uncertainty about what's going to happen and how long it's going to be until you get pulled to pieces. In tumults, in labors, yeah, a lot of work. He also had to work for his own support. He was a full-time, in full-time Christian service, but he wasn't getting full-time pay. <coughs> so he would work making tents, which was his thing that he did, in sleeplessness. And uh, that happens sometimes to those who are, whether in, in gospel ministry and others who are trying to serve the Lord, and whether it be that we're moved with concern for some people, that we're worried about their souls or about their physical well-being or whatever, and, and we feel moved to pray for them in the nighttime, or whether it be that a person is called on uh, you know, a, a pastor, sometimes uh, the phone will ring at 2 o'clock in the morning, and somebody in the church has gone in the hospital, and uh, they're, you know, and is in, bad, in a bad way, and they want the pastor to come. So it can lead to sleeplessness. In fastings, because sometimes Paul and his fellow workers would fast as as they prayed to help concentrate their minds. And so all these things, they recommended themselves to the believers. And then by purity, verse 6, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. So the second way in which Paul and his co-workers recommended themselves to the believers was by manifestation of God's grace, sorry for the typo there, working in their lives. So uh, these are, uh, these are uh, elements of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life. And he mentions the Holy Spirit. But by purity, that's certainly conduct the becoming of one who is a, an ambassador for Christ or one who has the role of witnessing for Christ by knowledge, so constantly trying to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, by long-suffering, which to me sounds a lot like patience. I don't know if it differs a lot, or maybe you just need much patience, and you also need long-suffering. I can believe that. Um, so, yeah, and exercising long-suffering to the glory of God and the edification of people. And that's something, you know, you don't always think about. Like while you're standing in line at the DMV and you're thinking about all the work that you could be getting done if you were not at the Department of Motor Vehicles. It's been a while since I've stood in line there. They're they're getting better, actually. But I remember in, oh, goodness, in the 90s and, and early 2000s and standing all day long in line at the DMV. And um, it was just uh, crazy. And... You know, you don't think, well, by my long-suffering in this situation, I can glorify God and point others to him. That doesn't tend to be the thought that comes to my mind. That should be the thought that comes to my mind when I'm standing at the checkout line at Walmart or whatever. By the Holy Spirit, how do you fake the Holy Spirit flowing through you in life? Well, ultimately, you can't. By sincere love, well, yeah, sincere, it's not faked, so really loving God and really loving his people and really loving sinners also for, for Christ's sake who loved us while we were yet sinners. So in all these ways, the apostles uh, demonstrated themselves and recommended themselves as those who behaved in a way fitting for apostles. And then uh, verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So a third way in which Paul and his co-workers recommended themselves to the believers was by demonstrating the truthfulness and sincerity of their ministry. Maybe that 
those terms aren't even broad enough for all that's encompassed here, but by the word of truth. If you tell the truth, you speak the truth to people, speaking the truth in love, that will recommend you as someone who's fit to represent uh, Christ and to be an ambassador for Christ. And then, um, by the power of God, again, uh, the apostle certainly had that in a big way and, uh, you know, performed miracles. And I don't know that any of us should necessarily expect to do that. But certainly, uh, God might perform miracles, if not through us, he might perform miracles in us. Like, for example, creating patience in some of us. Creating, you know, uh, changing us into the image of Christ, where we uh, are are wise in our words and don't uh, say things that would cause others to stumble. Uh, So, and then, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and the left, the commentary said that the word for armor here was... um, not just defensive armor, but by well, like weapons, some of the weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left that we're contending for righteousness, we're exhibiting righteousness and doing our best in that area uh, with God's grace to, uh, again, be good and fitting representatives for Christ. And then verses 8 through 10, by honor, and this, by the way, now we're going to shift to sort of different, and actually there's a different uh, preposition in the Greek, but... The um, King James, well, I guess the New King, the English translators all, had run out of usable uh, uh, pronouns or thought they had. The the commentators suggested that for the pronouns here, through would be more appropriate. Uh, But anyway, it's a different Greek pronoun. But anyway, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. So a fourth way in which Paul and his co-workers recommended themselves to the believers was by persevering in the face of opposition to their ministry, and thus overcoming evil with good. So Paul as we have mentioned, and we've, we've, this has come up a few times, Paul faced a lot of hardship and a lot of opposition. And uh, so honor and dishonor. So when, when we receive honor, sometimes, and then sometimes we receive dishonor. Sometimes we are called bad names, and we are slandered and reviled. And uh, our Lord said, Blessed are you, women shall persecute you, revile you, and say all, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And uh, so, in the midst of that, maintaining a good testimony, and thus, again, recommending themselves as ambassadors for Christ. And then, by evil report and good report, not that the apostle or his co workers were giving evil reports, but through evil reports and good reports. When they were slandered and people said terrible things about them, oh, they're such fanatics, they're such, oh, well, yeah, we know some of the things said about Paul. We have found this man, Paul, to be a pestilent fellow and a, uh, a mover of sedition and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Growing up, I always thought that was very fitting of Tertullus. Paul wasn't a Nazarene. He was clearly a free Methodist. I'm joking. It wasn't any of the above. But... Um, 
But uh, I don't know. I, I suppose that's the, you know, the Nazarene's denominational verse. You know, Paul's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Yay. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, evil reports that he's a mover of sedition, supposedly. That he goes around teaching all men to do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, Caesar claiming that there is another king, one Jesus. I don't know if that's an evil report. I'll take that. They can say that about me. Uh, or uh, turning the world upside down. These men who have turned the world upside down are coming. It wasn't meant as a compliment. But um, yes, would that I could. I would do it if I could. Uh, or maybe not the whole world. I'd settle for turning North Texas upside down. That would be just fantastic. Well, so by evil report and good report, whether people speak ill of us or whether they speak well of us, as deceivers and yet true, in other words, they are speaking the truth, because we've already had in this list by the word of truth, but they're called deceivers. They're, oh, there's, they're, they're lying, they're, they're false. No, we're not false. We're speaking the truth. As unknown and yet well-known, Again, unknown to some people, but very well known to others. As dying, and behold, we live. It seems like they're always being killed, floating around, hanging onto a piece of timber out, out in the ocean, out in the Mediterranean Sea for a day and a night. Shipwrecked several other times. All the other things that had happened to him, they actually left him for dead at um, Derby or Lister or someplace after they stoned him. Uh, and uh, yet, behold, we live. Look at this. It seems like we're always going to die, but we don't. As chastened and yet not killed. Yes. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sometimes we, we may be sorrowful about some things, about our unsaved loved ones, about things that some people do, about things that some professing Christians do, and it might make us very sad. We, uh, we mourn with those who mourn. You know, when people are sad, we're sad for them. But we're always rejoicing as well. Always in all these times, we have the Lord Jesus, and that's, that's, well, there's nothing like that, is there? As poor and yet making many rich, yeah, um, sometimes we don't have a lot of this world's good. Uh, Peter said to the man at the gate of the temple, silver and gold have I none. We can't probably say that. Uh, today, any of us say, I don't have any money at all. Uh, but he said, but such as I have, give I thee. And making many rich. And of course, Peter, back there in Jerusalem in those early days of the gospel, uh, I guess you could say he made that man rich who hadn't been able to walk. And, and Peter uh, raised him up. And he wasn't just tottering along on, on shaky legs. He was walking and leaping and praising God. I know some of us uh, wish that... Uh, Peter would make an appearance here and help some of us out. He'd like to be leaping a little bit more. We can praise God, though, even if we, uh, if we can't exactly leap. But we're making many rich. And, of course, really uh, uh, making us rich in Christ, in salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. For all, all things are ours in Christ. So, through all this, maintaining a good testimony... So now he comes to his appeal to the Corinthians in the last few verses. Verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Uh, so Paul loved the 
Corinthians, despite their sometimes churlish behavior toward him, saying that, you know, listening to people and kind of somewhat going along with people who had been coming around there and preaching that Paul is not telling you the real story and Paul is a false teacher and so forth. And, and uh, sometimes, apparently, they had been giving some countenance to those people. They shouldn't have. And Paul loved them just the same. He loved them anyway, even if they weren't always very nice to him. Uh, He loved them anyway, even if they did some things he sure wished they wouldn't do. And he's about to make a further appeal to them to be more careful about their Christian walk. He loved them anyway, even though their Christian walk was not as careful, hadn't been as careful as it needed to be and as he wanted it to be and as he hoped it would be uh, from from there on. But he loved them just the same. And um, then in verse 12 and 13, you are not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. So the Corinthians' problem was not that Paul was unloving toward them, but that they were so toward him. The Corinthians were the cause of their own problem. Um, And, you know, it's amazing how much people think that somebody else has caused their problem. Somebody else. Well, you did that. Well, the devil made me do it. Well, but, you know, and it's somebody else's fault. Made all my problems. The Apostle Paul's fault. He's so narrow. He's so strict. He's so hard on us. Uh, No, this is not a problem like that. But, you know, they're makers of their own problems. And a lot of people's problems are homemade. And I've heard a number of pastors, including my dad, refer to that. I remember one pastor, not my dad, uh, talking about people that were saying that uh, how, um, he says, they're saying that the devil is doing this to them and the devil is doing that to them. He, says, he said, and inwardly you want to say to them, you did that to your own self. And uh, that is often the case. And here were the Corinthians thinking the problem is with Paul. The problem is with, I don't know, some of those other people, Apollos or somebody. No, the problem is with the Corinthians. So he says, now you need to listen to my teaching and do what I say, and you need to uh, show the love of God to each other and towards uh, your teachers. Verses 14 and 15. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So the Corinthians can best demonstrate their loving kindness, the loving kindness that they should have toward Paul, by being more careful about the purity of their Christian walk. And this is true regarding anybody who's genuinely trying to teach us help us, lead us, direct us in God's ways, that the biggest blessing we can give them is to live for God all we can, as much as we can, 100% or more if we can, all out for the Lord. You know, um, John, one of his epistles said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. And he may have meant his spiritual children, I think this is true of every Christian parent, at least everyone that I've ever had this discuss or discussed the subject with. Every Christian parent that I know, like, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in truth. The best news I can get is my children are following the Lord and they're going on from victory to victory serving him. 
Yes, that's what I want to hear. And uh, that's how the Corinthians can bless Paul. This is a quote from um, a commentator here. He said uh, in the second point, They are yoked together with unbelievers who enter into close companionship with them. Um, we, uh, we look at uh, verse 14 as uh, strictly a prohibition on uh, marriage between Christians and non-Christians. Well, it is certainly that. It is certainly not less than that. It, it does absolutely strictly forbid marriage between any Christian and any non-believer. And uh, that, would, that would include members of cults uh, whose theology rules out their salvation. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't marry a Mormon. You wouldn't marry a Jehovah's Witness. Um, no other. I don't. I don't mean to be hateful towards those folk. I want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. I am strongly fear that it is. It is absolutely impossible for them to be saved. And, and so you can't with with their doctrine as it is. So you can't be marrying those people and probably other cults. I don't. Not a walking catalog of cult names now. We used to, there used to be the Moonies. I don't know if they're still around now. And there was Scientology. That was another cult. Today, I don't know if all the cults go by the name of cults. But anyway, but you can't, you can't marry someone like that. And um, only in the Lord. But that's not all that this verse means. Uh, it's, it's broader than that. Just because it has a specific application doesn't mean that's its only possible specific application. Unequally yoked together, of course, an unequal yoke, you have there, of course, a yoke was a pulling device used by oxen. And so um, it was designed for the physiology of the ox and for the ox to exert his strength through that. If you put a horse in an ox yoke, uh, that, first of all, a yoke would prevent the horse from exerting his full strength, but also a horse and an ox together, they have different pulling speeds. They pull at different speeds, and, and that yoke is going to get twisted, and it's going to be uh, cruel to both the horse and the ox. It's, it, they don't belong in the same yoke together. We could think of any other animal. You know, okay, we're going to put a giraffe and a goat in, this, in a yoke. No, that would be foolishness. Uh, that's a really, really unequal yoke. You can't do something like that. Well, uh, so Christians should not be in a yoke pulling together with this. I would see this as ruling out business partnership between a Christian and a, a non-Christian. And uh, a number of other things probably that it should rule out. Um, uh, so that that's... Uh, we need to be careful about that, not enter into that unequal yoke. Um, because, you know, what communion has light with darkness? How, you know, I think maybe I should add too, before I go on, not just the business partnership, but I think certain degrees of friendship should not exist between Christians and unbelievers. Really, I think an unbeliever can be an acquaintance, a kind of a friendly acquaintance. In America, we say everyone's our friend. If we've previously talked to them, they're our friend. But um, a real friend, I don't think, uh, to a Christian can be a non-Christian. I don't think that that can be the case uh, because that would be an unequal yoke. If that's someone that you share, uh, you know, sort of your, 
your uh, soul connects with, uh, I think that would be an unequal yoke if they were not believers. Someone that you confide in deeply, um, that I think would be an unequal yoke. So, um, yeah, going down here, he talks about, you know, what communion has light with darkness? It doesn't mix with darkness at all. Where light comes, it drives out darkness. Uh, what accord has Christ with Belial? I got to wondering how Belial should be pre- pronounced. Is it Belial or Belial? And um, so I actually did some hunting around online, and I got uh, preachers, recordings of preachers, you know, in, uh, videos of preachers preaching, one, some pronouncing it one way and some the other, some pronouncing it Belial and some Belial. The majority, I think, went with Belial, so I guess I'll do that. It's transliterated from a Hebrew word, and uh, according, uh, according to uh, Vincent's word studies, it means uh, uh, worthlessness or wickedness. So, um, and I've also heard preachers say that it's a, it's a name for the devil. I guess the devil certainly is worthless and wicked. That's true. He's never done anything good, and he's very wicked. So that fits him, but anyway... Uh, Belial or Belial, uh, what, what accord, what agreement is there between Christ and Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? We live in a world full of, uh, full of unbelievers. But um, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to go into verse 16 here, well, a lot of time, uh, that if, he said, I wrote in you a letter not to company with fornicators, not altogether with the fornicators of this world, nor, and he lists several other sins, because then must you needs go out of the world. So he recognizes, while we're in this world, we are going to be around, we are going to be in the presence of, we are often going to be co-workers with, we are going to uh, sell things to and buy things from uh, people who are unbelievers and are all manner of sinners. But we're not to be in close fellowship with them. We are not to... Um, fit in with them, or be like them. So verse 16 now. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So as the God of the Old Testament, had, as God, rather, as the same God, as God in the Old Testament had promised to dwell among his people, Israel, in the temple, the tabernacle first and later in the temple, he now promises to dwell within believers who are now to be his temples. Verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So come out from among them and be separate. Though we must live among unbelievers in this world, we are not to fit in with them or be in close fellowship with them. And do not touch what is unclean, as Old Testament priests and Levites were not to defile themselves ceremonially by touching certain forbidden things, so believers are not to defile themselves morally by partaking of activities that God has forbidden. And why? Verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This draws on several passages in the Old Testament, which are listed there on the slide. I'm not going to go into them now because I don't have time. But this assures that our obedience to God is not a yoke of bondage. It's not a long list of onerous restrictions. Uh, But it's a blessed enjoyment of the closeness and love of our Heavenly Father. Do you ever see people, uh, fellow professing Christians, 
doing things that you think are wrong. Oh, you know, I don't think Christians should do that. I don't think they should go to that entertainment. I don't think they should watch that entertainment. I don't think they should dress in that way. And you may be right. Does, does that mean these people are getting into heaven on the cheap? I don't know. That's, that's for God to judge. I'm not their judge. But it's not, it's not that I feel put out. Like the older brother of the prodigal son. It's not, that, oh, why does he get you know, to be in fellowship after he's been out there in that far country with those hogs and all that. But no, I got to be in the Father's house the whole time. And all these things that I do uh, to try to please the Lord, that I think the Lord is pleased with this, so I'll do it. And I think the Lord is pleased with that, so I will do it. And I think this other thing, I don't think he's pleased with, so I'm not going to do that. Why, I have, I have the joy of, of feeling the smile of my Heavenly Father on me and knowing that he owns me as his son uh, and his child. Not, not that I become his child by doing those things. No, by no means. Uh, but that I, I feel his pleasure. Just like I used to as a boy, uh, in my better moments, I used to uh, take pleasure in pleasing my parents and doing things. Look, Mom, I did this. Uh, look, Dad, I'll help you uh, with your job. Uh, and even so, I can take pleasure in feeling the uh, pleasure of my Heavenly Father with me as I try to remain separate from sinfulness and worldliness and from uh, sinful ways. Okay, well, thank you for your patience and attention. Let's close quickly in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your uh, goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've promised to be a father to us and uh, that we can be your sons and daughters. We pray that you would help us to enjoy uh, that relationship as we should and to live as befits those and as becoming in those who are your representatives to the world. We pray that you bless the service to follow now. We ask it in Jesus' name.